it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, that's true. You can come to me anytime. I'm always happy to talk to people. I do like people. It worries other people, uh, but it doesn't worry me, especially in these times that's somewhat challenging. Uh, we're just seeing all types of chaos. People are extremely worried about what's happening at the border. I get it. And people want to find out what's happening over in Israel and how big this war is going to get. Today, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will meet with the Saudi Defense Minister, Khalid Salman. Yes, MBS's brother. I don't know how that worked. They both, uh, both seem – it's like the Kennedy situation. Uh, RFK was the attorney junior, uh, the attorney general, when the president was president, uh, JFK. And the Senate, Senate will officially confirm Jack Lew as ambassador to Israel. Uh, he won uh, 53-43. He got two Republican votes. He's a bad pick, but he's the guy. Uh, Senator Tuberville in 25 minutes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They have grown in the ensuing 60 years to the point where they have multiple chapters on almost every United States and Canadian college campus. They're basically a factory for Sharia supremacist and anti-Semitic literature. And Andy McCarthy, one of the few people not surprised by this rash of anti-Semitic behavior and anger towards Israel because he wrote a book about it in 2011. Beyond alarming, the rise of anti-Semitism on campus in this country is out of control, but the good news is the people are standing up to it. Number two. Day 26 of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. You can hear the fighter jets overhead. We've been watching as the Israelis continue airstrikes against the Strip. Trey Yanks telling us the latest like nobody else. The latest on the war in Israel. IDF loses now, excuse me, 12 uh, in the fighting against Hamas and a possible breakthrough in southern Gaza to get civilians out and aid in. Number one. These attacks actually go back two years. They started to pick up in tempo, mm-hmm. uh, going stretching back two years. And by my count, we're over 110 with the tempo of the last ten, two to three weeks actually picking up markedly. And clearly they are connected. Brent Sadler, former Pentagon official, upset like I am and you are that we've had 27 attacks on our on our men and women serving in Iraq and Syria, and we've only answered once. How many will it take on our bases before we get on the offensive against the Iranian-backed militias who continue to rattle our cage and we just sit inside? It's not that we can hit, we choose not to. I understand caution, but the only thing, if you really are concerned about a second uh, or a third world war, uh, make sure the people coming at us understand what wrath they will face if they continue to do it. Weakness only gets more attacks. You know, and I got a letter um, from a father, and I got to bring this out because it's important. I can't believe how much I have in my pockets, by the way. I have so many uh, different things because I can never remember anything. So this dad wrote me, and I can't use his name, and I wouldn't do it anyway. And he says... My son is active duty, Army Airborne, stationed at 
uh, in Alaska, but he's heading over to Syria. It says our bases where he's going are being constantly attacked with no response. I do not want to see my son have to go to war, but uh, he does not have a choice. It's easier to go to a uh, to a shootout with a domestic call. At least the shootout, he knows what he's heading into. Complacency doesn't protect our troops. Strength does. If it ends up in war to defend our troops, then so be it. We are not the ones starting it so we can finish it. He said President Biden needs to wake up and put on his big boy pants instead of being on vacation constantly. He has a job to do. Do it or get out of the way. I don't know how uh, we or my son can survive the next year and a half with this guy. I agree. Here's uh, Brigadier General Pat Ryder. Cut one. Does the department acknowledge at least a, a link of what's spurring these attacks is the U.S.'s support for Israel? Yeah, so I think it's important to differentiate between uh, what Iranian proxies and Iran might be saying and the perspective that we bring to this, which is our forces are in Iraq and Syria for one purpose, which is the enduring defeat of ISIS. That's why they're there. That's what they'll stay focused on. So uh, this is separate and distinct from the situation in Israel, between Israel and Hamas. But they don't see it that way. What is wrong with you? You could say whatever you want. I mean, I think it was a lot of people's mission in the kibbutz to go about their day and maybe uh, and maybe get together and have a barbecue at night. But in comes Hamas with guns and knives on motorcycles and on hang gliders, and they decided to make to, to murder people. These people don't care what your mission is. They're coming after you. Cut to. If they are separate, what has led to the increase in attacks over the past couple of weeks? Well, certainly this is not the first time we've seen these Iranian proxy groups do these kinds of things for a multitude of purported various reasons. So that in and of itself is not unusual. I love the word purported, Uh, purported, purported to do these things. So you should just put up a big sign here to fight ISIS, not looking at any Iranian militias. Do you understand how weak we look? The Houthi rebels are lobbing and actually declared war on Israel, lobbing surface to air missiles over to Israel, blocked, thankfully, on a weapon system we helped invent. Then you got Hezbollah, I think 11 attacks yesterday on the north side of Israel, their southern border over in Lebanon. And then you know what's going on with Hamas in Gaza. Okay, and then also there's problems with Syria because they have Hezbollah there, terrorist activities, and of course Israel's got to keep an eye on that. They blow up everything they see when they see them coming together. So now the same groups, all Iranian-sponsored, and we want to go, yeah, sorry, uh, we're not here to go after Iranian militia. Please stop rocketing us. Yeah, we got missile defense. We are, you already heard 22 guys over the last three weeks. You've already attacked us 27 times. But just to reiterate, I'm only here to fight ISIS. It's nuts. Brett Sadler, cut three. Well, there's a couple of things wrong with the general statement in that, uh, one, these attacks actually go back two years. They started to pick up in tempo, mm-hmm. uh, going stretching back two years. And by my count, we're over 110 with the tempo of the last ten, two to three weeks actually picking up markedly. And clearly they are connected. I mean, the, the, the groups that are involved are all clearly stating from yeah. Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, they're all saying this is in reaction to and in support of Hamas in Gaza. So that's, it's pretty clear the administration would rather not respond to these other attacks. And that actually is inciting it even more and more dangerous attacks. And I could roll in the clip and just aggravate you more. Secretary Austin yesterday said we'll pick in time and place to answer back. He actually didn't use the term don't yesterday, thankfully, because it's so benign 
and so ridiculous and it's been laughed at in the Middle East where our guys are under attack. I don't care about them. We got 45,000 people in that area. 45,000 Bahrain, Oman, UAE, Qatar, huge and huge presence in Kuwait. All of them could be targets, especially if we tell them we're not hitting back. Sorry, just here to train. I'm only working in CENTCOM. Don't want to blow me up. Most of the people that get hit are innocent people. If you've met Hamas, Qatar, if you've been studying, excuse me, Hamas that's in Qatar, Hamas, Hezbollah, I, the ISIS, ISIS-K, they have one thing in common. They prefer to hit civilians and horrify people. They don't want a fair fight. So they could look tough hitting U.S. bases and us hitting back. Hey, let me ask them. Do you think the Russians would take that? Do you think the Chinese would take that and say, sorry, we're just here to fight ISIS. Uh, please don't use those attack drones on us. We're trying to have lunch. The other big thing is uh, Christopher Ray trying not to be political, uh, trying to tell everyone he has to be alarmed that six million people and uh, millions of gotaways have gotten through our border, many of which are from the Middle East, from countries that spawn Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and fearing this could be coming here. Cut six. Here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals or small groups, will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks against Americans going about their daily lives. That includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization. We also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. You think? So far this year, a terrorist screening data set encounters between ports of entry of non-U.S. citizens in 2022, we've had 98 on the terror, terrorist watch list. A lot of these countries don't report their terrorists. Uh, and 2023, we already have 172. Do you know in 2017, we had zero? And I think the next year, we had eight. Now we got 172 and 98. What's changed? Give me a second. Oh, I know. Presidents. Nationwide border encounters. All-time record. And it's only November 1st. million, highest ever recorded, came across our border. You think they're all just looking for a better life? Even if they are, not the way you do it. And 2022, 2.7 million. Year to year, 2.7 is obscene, and it's already up 15.71%. Country of origin. Let's take a look. China. I know China sucks. Horrible place to live. An oppressive government. They watch everything you do. They actually give you a loyalty score to decide if you're going to be able to get a mortgage. Most young people can't get a job, can't rent anything. They've overbuilt their real estate markets in the toilet. They spend all their money on the military. But don't worry about it. I understand why they want to come here. But why at this pace? 52,700 have come through our border. Knowing that the students come here, it's so often caught spying knowing that they've set up clandestine their own police stations to watch their own citizens in major cities like Houston and New York, does anyone under the impression that they're here just for a better life? I would hope because a lot of times you have highly educated people that help our country. You have uh, workers that help our country. This is just no way to get into our country. It's no way to run a country. And this is why this election is so important. 
I don't care if I if I thought Donald Trump or Governor Haley was going to open up our border, not in a million years would I vote for them. If I thought their policy on Ukraine and Afghanistan, enough to survive, not to win in Ukraine, Afghanistan, we just want to leave and, and trash our reputation around the world. And then, of course, what's happening in Israel, always calling up, walking back, telling people uh, to take a pause, which reportedly that's what President Biden's urging. If I thought that of Governor Haley or Donald Trump or Governor DeSantis, not in a million years would I vote for them. But that's what you're going to get if you put to, if you leave Joe Biden there, because evidently he's going to stick around. So before I go and I'll take your calls next. It's easy for me to get a Republican to rip the border policy or Henry Cuellar. What if I got somebody that's making money about bringing illegal immigrants to the border? His name is Irenio Muchica. And if I mispronounce the name, it doesn't matter. He's not listening. He is the so-called caravan leader. Really good English. Interviewed in Mexico. Cut 13. Joe Biden administration has uh, has lost the ball, had lost the power, and, and America has has not been paying attention to what's happening. Mexico is being uh, used, usually ganging up with all the countries to make sure that all this immigration goes straight into the United States, and, and that's, that's what it is. Every country has been just providing their rights, charging them 20 30 or $40, and then just pushing them in, pushing them in, all the way to the Mexican border. Where's the American intelligence? Don't they know that the, all the countries are conspiring against the United States to make sure they have this crisis? I'm going to play this soundbite a lot today, and maybe tomorrow, and for because it's the most damning soundbite, period. You can't label him a Joe Biden sycophant or a Donald Trump supporter. He's a guy making money off putting together caravans and pushing them through the border and was went up to a camera and actually answered the question honestly. When we come back, your calls then, Senator Tommy Tuberville, Armed Services Committee. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The most important project that the Muslim Brotherhood has ever had in the United States was the Muslim Students Association, which were begun with just really a handful of campuses in the Midwest in the 1960s. They have grown in the ensuing 60 years to the point where they have multiple chapters on almost every United States and Canadian college campus. And they are, they're basically a factory for um, Sharia supremacist and anti-Semitic literature. I mean, that's basically what it's all about. So they've been spewing this stuff out for three generations. You know, I, I usually have Andy McCarthy on to talk about legal stuff. And we did talk about the Trump trial and other, other challenges on the Hunter stuff and Joe Biden links. But then we talked about these protests on campuses, and he wrote a book about it, Andy McCarthy, in 2011. And he tried to get Democrats like Chuck Schumer's attention to say, this is anti-Semitism. I mean, this is anti-Israel. You should pay attention to this. And he couldn't. And no one thought it was serious. But now we're all seeing it front and center. It is abhorrent. 
it is it is unnerving to think that, and as Christopher Ray said, it's historic levels uh, on campuses predominantly. But for example, we're missing twenty. I think there's twenty nine American, or excuse me, be about twelve Americans minimum. Twenty nine got killed. October 7th, but 20, uh, 12 Americans are being kept hostage, maybe more. They're up to 239, and there are people putting pictures of them so people don't forget. Do you know these lunatics are trying to rip down and being caught on video ripping down these pictures? It is insane. These are innocent people hanging out in a kibbutz and got taken, cap- were captured and are probably being tortured. And because people put up their picture, you think you can rip it down? Here's where Christopher Ray is known as his FBI director. Cut 23. This is a threat that is uh, reaching in some ways sort of historic levels, um, in part because, uh, as you know all too well, the Jewish community uh, is targeted by terrorists really across the spectrum. Homegrown violent extremists, foreign terrorist organizations, both Sunni and Shia, domestic violent extremists, uh, and in fact, are statistics would indicate that for a group that represents only about 2.4% of the American public, they account for something like 60% of all religious-based hate crimes. Um, And so we're trying to do our part, both by tackling it through our Joint Terrorism Task Forces, hate crime investigations. So they have to be, it's so weird, it's so bizarre. The White House has to be harangued into calling out anti-Semitism. And then you have nine Democratic lawmakers who did not vote in favor of condemning ha- uh, Hamas for the October 7th attacks. And when Josh Krotheimer called them out, he got threatened by a congressman from Indiana. And they wanted to fight him. The whole squad voted either present or just voted no. And then you see what's happening on campus. You go, wait a second. There's one party that firmly supports Israel, firmly condemns Hamas and all forms of terrorism. The other party is having a lot of trouble getting their act together and condemning people who are actually supporting Israel. I know you see some of those shots in Gaza. I don't want to see innocent people hurt. But you know that's not Israel's intention. But you know Hamas hides among the masses and targets civilians. 790-plus killed on October 7th. For Israel, any child or anybody that's innocent, that's a problem because they hold themselves to a higher standard. For Hamas, that's the goal. But the good news is they, that that Rafa gate is open. They expect 400 people to get through, hopefully get some foreign nationals out of Gaza. Why you ever want to go to Gaza, I don't know. Uh, but they should push even more and make them set up temporary temp cities to get them out of Gaza for now. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have just returned from our southern border. And it is painfully clear that with Joe Biden's open border policy, our country is really at an increased threat for a terrorist attack. A couple days before we got there, alert border agents were able to seize immigrants carrying with them IEDs, explosive devices, really tailor-made for terrorism. They were the size of cannonballs. So the border is is worse than you could ever. Whatever you think, just uh, multiply it by 10. I told you about the the, uh, 
the, the terror watch list. We've got 172 year to date so far in 2023. Do you know uh, all single digits during the Trump years? One year there was actually zero. And now in a time of heightened tensions, we got them flooding through with no sign uh, at the end. I also saw uh, no uh, no sign of it coming to an end. I also saw a number that was staggering, too, about uh, the thousands of Chinese coming across the border. What are they doing? I know their country sucks, but why now are you coming by the thousands when the tensions between our nations has never been so high and our awareness of their um, their intense spying in America is so great? With us right now is Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, Senator, this is something that you were focused on yesterday, too, right? Exactly, Brian. I mean, we, you know, the biggest thing going on right now, obviously, is the, the whole world's on fire. But for the taxpayers of this country, the, the United States of America, the biggest thing for us is our southern border. If we don't stop that, we're going to have a 9-11 very, very often in this country. Said by Christopher Ray, the corrupt uh, FBI director that we have, even he admits it. So, Brian, we got huge problems. When, when this happened with Israel a few weeks ago, the first thing when Biden, they woke him up from his sleep about 10 in the morning, he should have said, okay, shut the border down, put military down there, nobody else comes in. We've had three or 400,000 uh, people from the Middle East come across that southern border, three or 400,000. We have lost our mind. We have lost our mind, Brian. And also, when it comes to the Chinese, listen to this. This year already, 52,700. So they figured out a way to get out of their country, landed somewhere in Central South America, and walked their way through the border. Now, I understand a communist country, there's a reason to leave, but why are we letting everyone in? I mean, we know that there's students that we accept in, which is odd, because how do you compare acceptance grades? And there's so many Americans who need those slots. Because they pay so much money, they get in, and we find out that they have family members back in their homeland, and they basically have leverage over these people to become spies here. One world order. They told us at the very beginning of Barack Obama's uh terms, and then, of course, with Joe Biden's term, that they wanted a one-world order. They're globalists. They care nothing about the Constitution or how this country was built. They want to change everything from tearing statues down to taking away our military, which we're so woke now. I don't know whether we could fight half a war, much less a whole war. And then everything else is just uh, just slowly deteriorate what has been built for 247 years. And that's not what the American people want. They need People need to wake up across this country. It's not what it used to be. Things have changed. We have zero leadership that stands for the United States of America as it has been. So uh, we're under attack, not just uh, all over the world. We're under attack by the administration here, this corrupt administration. I can't believe Joe Biden is still in office with the information that they have found on this crime family. But, uh, you know, that's where we're headed. Uh, you know, it's going to take an awful lot of people to get us out of this mess, and we're going to have, to have a very strong leader, hopefully elected next year. Uh, Senator, so tell us, what what is your initial, for our audience that doesn't know, you are holding up promotions and nominations. Uh, for what reason? Holding up nominations because this time last year, Brian, the after Roe Wade went down, the most controversial subject in your and my lifetime in the United States of America is abortion. Do taxpayers pay for it? Is it legal? And so Roe Wade was kicked down to the states. Okay, let's 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 let, let the American people vote for this, and which is the right way to do it. Well, after that, Joe Biden says we can't handle the states, but we can handle federal employees. So he 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 made for the first time ever the VA give abortions. I fought that. I lost on a vote. 
Then he did the same thing to the military. We changed the policy. He changed it with a memo. He didn't want to send it over for a vote because he didn't know whether he could win. And I told him, now, you change this with a memo, I'm going to hold your admirals and generals' promotions. And if you do this, and I'm not going to change my mind, well, they did it. For nine months now, I've had a hold on admirals and generals because they want to push something on the American people that it's not legal. And I'm not changed my mind. Uh, they've got an abortion policy that if they would just send the law that they want and let's vote on it, I would drop the holes. But they refuse to do it because they do not want bad votes for Senator Tester from Montana and some of these other people that are up for uh, election. It's not about really anything other than getting people reelected. And that's that's the crazy thing about Washington, D.C. Do you worry about our readiness in the meantime? Uh, worry about who? Our readiness, our military ready, oh, readiness no, in the no. meantime. Listen, I talked, I'm on the Armed Service Committee. I talk to our military personnel on a daily basis, generals and admirals. They call me, Coach, we're doing fine. You do what you need to do. This will be taken care of. Uh, you know, I even confirmed after the holes, I confirmed the commandant of the Marine Corps and uh, because I knew we needed that person there. We didn't have anybody. I did it myself. Now, Schumer, I, went, uh, I used a rule uh, that has not been used very often, and Schumer saw it. He, wanted, he didn't want to get looked bad, so he had him confirmed 101. Now, let's go back to this. I'm not holding individual nominees. They can bring as many as they want to the floor. We're bringing three to the floor tomorrow, and that's fine individually. I'm not doing two or three hundred at a time. That's the only thing I'm doing. But, uh, you know, the Marine Commandant had a heart attack this past weekend. Uh, he's I don't know what shape he's in. I don't think it's very good. We're praying for him. And so we're going going to elevate somebody tomorrow. Uh, and, and but readiness is no problem. If I thought it was hurting our military, I would not be doing this. I want to make sure that we hold the administration's feet at the fire without playing dictator from the White House. And that's what they're doing. They're so, communists. They're trying to play dictator from the White House and the Pentagon. Right. And they don't want to do regular order through through the legislation process. So Michael McCall is chairman of uh, uh, Foreign Relations. Uh, Republican said this about the hold. This is paralyzing the Department of Defense. You know, the idea that one man in the Senate can hold this up for months I understand maybe promotions, but nominations is paralyzing the Department of Defense. I think that is a a national security problem and a national security issue. And I really wish he would reconsider this. So has he spoken to you personally, fellow Republican? And what do you feel about how do you feel about him sincerely having a problem with what you're doing? Well, no, I've not talked to him. You know, if he's got a problem with it, he needs to call me. I mean, we're Republicans. We're on the same side. Senator McConnell yesterday, for the third time, condemned what I was doing. I don't work for Senator McConnell. I work for the United States of America and the taxpayers of this country. And, uh, again, if I thought it was hurting readiness, I would. Uh, that uh, Congressman you just talked about, he's on the Foreign Relations Committee. I'm on the Armed Services. I deal with the military every day, and I talk to the generals and admirals and the people that are really in charge, disappointed with a lot. I think we've got a lot of good people in the military, but I'm trying to do what's best for the citizens and the people of this country and trying to keep our military from getting into politics. That's all they want to do. They want to bring our military to its knees through all these woke policies that they're trying to push on the United States of America military. Right. Here is Mitch McConnell. I said this is a bad idea quite a while ago. 
I still think it's a bad idea. I have been among those trying to convince Senator Tuberville to uh, express his opposition some other way by people who actually make policy as opposed to uh, our military heroes who are sworn to stay out of politics. And I imagine he's on your sentiment as as a pro-life guy. He's a leader in the Senate. And I know that he's not President Trump's favorite guy last time I checked. I'm pretty sure every time I checked. Uh, but your your reaction to his assessment of your actions? I'm not talking to him about this. He's never coming to me about this. You know, you would think that the the uh, leader of the Senate, uh, Schumer, would sit down, Coach. What do we need to work? How to, let's work this out. Or the president, or Senator McConnell. Uh, I've sat down and talked with Jack Reed, the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, for about ten minutes. These people, they don't know how to negotiate. It's about communications up here. I'm used to communicating in my former career. There's no communications up here. Everybody's trying to cover their ass, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's but it would be it wouldn't help them at all, because, again, I'm doing it for two reasons. Number one, taxpayers, uh, it's against the law for them to pay for anything for abortion. Now, they can have them fine, but the taxpayers don't need and don't and shouldn't have to pay for it. And they need to quit dictating uh, from the White House and the Pentagon. They are not legislators. Okay, send the bill over what you want. We'll run it through. If it passes, it passes. But don't push it on the American people. That's not how things work in this country. So uh, that's your point. That's their point. And I know where you stand. And a lot of people agree with you. A lot of people disagree with you. How do we solve it? Uh, they, they, no one's really come to you to work it out. I know Secretary of Defense has talked to you before, right? Yeah, a couple of times for so, a couple of minutes, but do, they don't want to negotiate. They want it their way or the highway. And again, all they got to do is move the policy back and let's vote on it and so with. But they don't. They want to be able to tell American people what to do, not have a voice through a vote through their Senate and Congress. And the exact thing is, number one, if a state that their their complaint is, and you stop me if I'm wrong here, you live this every day. Their complaint is, if they're in a state that does not allow abortion, and you're a female and you want to get an abortion. They are not going to be able to get one, and that's not fair. They have no say in where they're going to be. Other people have argued on your side and say, take a day off. Take a day off and go ahead and go to a state where that's okay. What, what is your – am I – if I characterize that correctly? Yeah, right. What they want to do is they want the taxpayers to pay for transportation to another state and then three weeks off paid leave and then also have the dependents – of the military personnel to have an abortion if they want one. Again, if they want to do this, abortion's fine in, in a state that it's legal. Taxpayers, Brian, should not have to pay for this. I mean, it's not responsibility, but they're pushing it on the taxpayer with a memo. Hey, let's vote on it. Let's vote on it. And if it passes, it passes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Do it the right way. Go through the Constitution. Don't play dictator from the White House. Are they trying to make you pay by taking uh, this space program out of Alabama? No, no, they had not. Even the president said something about that, and that's not over with either. You know, they did that pretty much illegally. You're supposed to go by what the uh, Air Force secretary says, and the Air Force secretary said it's supposed to be in Alabama. That's where we need to put it. But the president overrode him, which was uh, basically illegal. But you know that that's that's even that didn't even go along with this. And again, even the president said that had, you know this abortion policy has nothing to do with mm-hmm. space. Uh, space command. Is there somebody that you respect on the other side or with the administration and come to you and try to negotiate this? Are you willing? Uh, is there is there room to negotiate this? 
yeah, if they'd come down and sit down and, and we would get their perspective, I'd give them my perspective. And again, I want to go by the law. I want to go by the law and the Constitution. I don't want them to break the law. Uh, because if we give them opportunity to start going around the Constitution, breaking the law uh, of what the Supreme Court says, then we got huge problems. Um, that's like, you know, they're thinking about circumventing the rules in the Senate to go around me. Now, you do that. Uh, it sets a precedent that really takes away any uh, power from the minority. And the only power we have when you're in a minority of the Senate is to be able to put a hold on something to get their attention. You take that away, you might as well send us home and start just writing up laws from the White House. So they're talking about getting everybody together and having one vote on everyone. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Uh, and we're, right now that they would pass a rule and they could do a simple majority to pass that rule? It was simple. Well, they'd have to get 60 votes. So that'd have to, they'd have to get 10 Republican votes. I wouldn't be shocked if they couldn't get it, to be honest with you, you know, because uh, we've got some on our side that, uh, you know, they always vote for uh, something that goes along the, the, the abortion policy. So you're about a year away from finding out if you're going to be in the minority and the majority. If you look at Montana with Tim Sheehy, Pennsylvania, Dave McCormick's within seven Pennsylvania. He's got a, he's a military veteran. You see Jim Justice in West Virginia, way ahead of Joe Manchin, should he get the Republican nomination. I believe he will. He got President Trump's endorsement. What is your take on being the majority? Have you met with people? Have you looked at that yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a huge meeting on it yesterday. We're in really good shape in a lot of these states that you just talked about. There's going to be some close calls. Uh, we have yet to hear. I don't know whether Joe, Joe Manchin is going to run, but he's way behind. Cinema, uh, the same thing. Of course, she's an independent now, and uh, she hadn't made up her mind. But there's some uh, areas in Ohio, uh, obviously in West Virginia, uh, Montana, Arizona is going to be close, Michigan. There's going to be a lot of close races. But if you were looking at polling, which sometimes I, I look at as, as positive or, or negative, um, it looks like we're on the plus side right now. But hey, we got a year, Brian. There's a lot of water underneath the bridge between now and next year. And I will say this. If if we don't get the majority, and if we don't get a uh, somebody that's got some common sense, some damn sense in this country, that's going to be the president of the United States. Uh, I don't know whether we can make it because look how far this country has gone down just in three years. We can't continue on this path. If we continue down this road, right. uh, we've lost the country that we all grew up in and love. He's the worst. I mean, this President Biden is the worst. Everything he touches goes sour. He's trying to sell us on the economy. Numbers are good, but the feeling is not good on inflation, numbers, oil, gas, and they're all his decisions. Uh, while depleting our oil reserves and opening up the border uh, and embarrassing us in Afghanistan that led to, I believe, uh, the invasion in Ukraine and the alignment against us around the world, they think we're weak. Senator Tommy Tuberville, yeah. uh, I, hope this, I hope we get a resolve to this. Thanks so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah. You left out one thing, Brian. Yep. He's a crook. Okay. He's a crook, too. And so we, we all need to look at that. We'll get into the bottom of that. Uh, James Comer's doing that now that he's back in action. Uh, thanks so much, Senator Tommy Tumberville. Appreciate it. When we come back, we'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I do think that the Abraham Accords were really important in changing the dynamic where the Arabs finally became genuinely open to, to dealing with Israel. One important thing that we've watched in the last week is the UAE warning Israel through its statements to the United Nations that the wonderful accord between the UAE and Israel may be in danger. UAE has strongly called for a ceasefire at the UN, expressing its, its concern about continuation of this, of this fight. Well, the one thing is, and that is Dave Ignatius knows a lot of stuff about that region, condemn, actually praising the Abraham Accords, which the Biden administration wouldn't even bring up, shows the pettiness of this administration. Reverse everything except Afghanistan that he thought was a deal he couldn't break up. And then when it comes to the Abraham Accords, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Pariah Nation, Saudi Arabia, that worked out. So this is a scenario I could see. You got to pressure Egypt to open up the Rafah Gate. You got to provide them with some security and money to help them resettle a lot of these people, these civilians, to get them out of harm's way. Set it up. Then you pressure them to do that in a, for humanitarian purposes and let Israel go to town on Hamas. And when you start killing terrorists, nobody likes Hamas, even though the Arab street might like Hamas. Arab leaders don't because they're evil, bloodthirsty, and they all want to die. And Israel wants to rush them there, and so do we. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up on November 7th, Teddy and Booker T comes out. It's an American story that will make you feel good. Where America was, where America is, thanks to these two guys. Uh, November 7th is out. You can pre-order it. Also, check me out in Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, It'll be this Thursday, November 9th. BrianKilmeade.com. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, but we're heard around the country, around the world. A lot of uh, national stories are happening here. Uh, we think you've seen what happens at uh, uh, CUNY uh, School with the anti-Semitic behavior along with Columbia, along with NYU. Uh, the massive protests and the homeless situation, which is uh, almost the good old days compared to the illegal immigrant situation. We're now going to get money and put the illegals on planes and send them back to Texas, who are going to send them back to us with buses. Do you believe this is a first world country? Uh, in studio right now is Mike Rogers. He wants to be the next senator for Michigan, uh, the longtime congressman, chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee. Uh, he has also got an FBI military background, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to Mike, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They have grown in the ensuing 60 years to the point where they have multiple chapters on almost every United States and Canadian college campus. They're basically a factory for Sharia supremacist and anti-Semitic literature. That is Andy McCarthy talking about what he figured out in 2011, that the Muslim Brotherhood had penetrated into our college campuses. He tried to get people alarmed by this. No one was paying attention. And now it's beyond alarming. The rise in anti-Semitism on campus in this country and is out of control. The good news is people are finally standing up to it. Number two. Day 26 of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. You can hear the fighter jets overhead. We've been watching as the Israelis continue airstrikes against the Strip. Uh, that is Trey Yanks, latest on the war in Israel. Sadly, uh, they've lost 11 fighters. Uh, they were killed fighting Hamas. Uh, they are losing countless guys, but there is some collateral damage. We'll discuss it. 
Number one. These attacks actually go back two years. They started to pick up in tempo. Mm -hmm. uh, going stretching back two years, and by my count, we're over 110. With the tempo of the last ten, two to three weeks actually picking up markedly, and clearly they are connected. Uh, that is uh, Brent Sadler, former Pentagon official, 27 and rising. That's how many attacks on our bases in Iraq and Syria since the October 7th massacre, and we have answered one time against a weapons depot, one time on the border of Syria. Tell me how that makes us safer. It doesn't. With me right now officially is uh, former Congressman Mike Rogers running for Senate in Michigan. It bothers me so much. I understand you don't want to start World War III, but, uh, but Mike, everything that we've learned, Iran especially, only understands strength. And this does not – when you don't answer 27 attacks, how is, that, how is that in our best interest? It's not in our best interest and for two reasons. One, you can't get out in front of this and say, boy, if you attack our military personnel anywhere in the region, we'll do something about it. So don't. Remember that sternly worded Everybody memo? Everybody says it, and uh, they do. And, and guess what? Then they attacked us multiple times since. If we don't get – and you can do this, by the way, Brian, without ratcheting it up. You yeah. can go after their infrastructure – you can go after the units that we know are producing, uh, producing the munitions that are that they're using, including this drone, uh, this kind of new swarm drone technique that they're using. All of that is something swarm to overwhelm the missile defense and get through. Yes, and they're dangerous. And and here's the crazy thing: we knew about this swarm drone effort in the past, and we knew uh, the U.S. government knew because. Uh, we had folks on the ground saying at the time, hey, this is going to be a problem for us if we don't do something about it. And sure enough, here it is. And so now you have the Houthis, you know, the firing missiles at, at Israel. Remember, remember the Houthis, that's the one that the Biden administration took off the terrorist list in 21 and stopped Saudi Arabia from actually going after these folks and their terrorists. And uh, how did they stop them? Uh, by d d denying the Saudis the weapons to use against the Houthi rebels who were rocketing Saudi Arabia from Yemen. Absolutely. And by the way, they were paying for it. <laughs> it wasn't free. We weren't giving them anything. Yeah. Uh, so this is a huge problem. These decisions, these are consequential decisions along the way. And again, are they not going after these Iranian-based proxies because they still want this deal? Or are they not going after the Iranian-based proxies that are attacking our soldiers for some other reason? None of those are good reasons. Think about how evil this is. The administration was allowing Iran to keep their oil on the market to the degree in which it was in order to keep the price down because we stopped producing as much. That's why we're trying to get Venezuela online because they know they can't get reelected if gas is like it is across the country, like it is in California, at $6 a gallon. How bad is that? Well, think of this. We just sent about a trillion dollars of economic activity when we were energy independent to people who don't like us very much in the Middle East and just absolutely fueled mayhem that you see because we refuse. The Biden administration refuses to allow us to be energy independent. And now we're entangled in places rather than engaged in places. This is about our destiny, Brian. This is why, to me, this this next election is going to be so important. We are either going to have our destiny as, as American citizens in our own hands. We're going to be energy independent. We're not going to depend on China to buy uh, to build electric batteries that make uh, cars that you've mandated. All of these things are things that we have to get right uh, for the next generation of Americans. And if you look at it, it starts with energy independence. Now you've got Venezuela where they're selling us oil. But guess what? That's cash for them to spend on us. 
China, we're sending money from these batteries. That's cash on that they're using to modernize their nuclear weapon arsenal, which they have. By the way, it's probably more modern than ours, and it's pointed at us. And now you see Iran, it's about a billion dollars a week in cash to them. And that's all brought to right. you by really bad decisions by the Biden administration. None of this has to be going on, and we we need to change this. And if you just extrapolate that out, think about this. The Houthi rebels supported by Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas is supported by Iran, Islamic Jihad supported by Iran. You can't say the Middle East doesn't like us. It is one country who uh, the other countries are afraid of, but as soon as we show we will protect them, that will allow them to speak up and allow the Abraham Accords to, uh, Accords to move forward but now, as we hear, the UAE deal with Israel is in the balance because they don't like the degree in which they're going after Hamas in Gaza. Yeah, and that's all public. That's just the Arab street management problem for them. That's exactly why they're not Egypt doing and it. Jordan. Same yeah, thing. Absolutely. But, you know, what my argument is, listen, the Sinai is right there we, they could provide security, allow these folks to leave. They're going to try to do that. Uh, but you don't see the governments of the Middle East, uh, even the, you know, the Sunni-based government saying, hey, we're going to help these folks, mm-hmm. right? This is one of those scabs that everyone likes to pick, unfortunately, and it is creating this problem that you see here. But really, Israel has no other option. You have got to dismantle a absolutely brutal uh, terrorist organization. I know you're in New York. You're campaigning, raising money to to be the next senator from Michigan. I get it. But did you have by any chance see FBI director uh, yesterday testify? I oh, did, and, did not. Read some of the headlines. So here is Christopher Ray talking about the possible violence here at home, knowing, and this was built off the way the border's been wide open. We have 3.2 million, of, or the highest ever recorded, and the year's not over, who have come across illegally. Listen, cut six. Here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals or small groups, will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks against Americans going about their daily lives. That includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization. We also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. He's admitting that they have a presence here. You you know this stuff. You're on the former select committee. So think of this. You have at least 200 and some that they have identified that they've encountered. The Border Patrol has touched them, talked to them. They know they're on the terrorist watch list. There's about 1.7 million people this year came across that border that they call gotaways, meaning they didn't have any. They don't have bios on them. They don't know who they are. They have clean sheets, if you will. And so you think about the numbers. Those are the ones we caught. If you're here to do something bad, you're not going to come across and sit down like so many of the uh, immigrants are doing now or illegal uh, immigrants are doing now. They just come across the border and sit down and wait to get arrested and get their ticket to New York City. And so if you think about that and then you think about 1.7 that got away and you think about those 240 numbers, this is really dangerous. And we know that Iranians uh, have showed up here. Russians have showed up here. All of the countries where we have problems with have come across that border. Border Patrol tells us that. Now you have to start thinking, okay, if they want to do something, what better way to come across a border that is absolutely wide open? Mike Rogers, what does it take to get on a terror watch list? 
Um, you have to have a certain number of types of intelligence, right, and information that was generated either by the FBI or our intelligence agencies that deem that person. And it's a pretty healthy number of things that would get you on the list. So if you're on the list, you're doing something terrible and you're hanging out with people who are terrible. Are there certain countries where we just can never get their names because of the way the government operates? Yeah, I mean, it makes it more difficult. We, we still, you know, intelligence services have done a pretty good job of finding it. But remember, if you're going to plan an operation in the United States, you get somebody that isn't associated with, with, with that, train them, give them some training, and then send them up across the border. And so not everybody who comes in that may have ill intent to the United States is going to be on those lists. Right. But we know 172 have come across already. You used to do work at the FBI. For, would that worry you if you were Christopher Ray? It took 19 people to slaughter 3,000 Americans. There was 98 the year before. Do you know two of the three, think, uh, three of the four years that Donald Trump was president, they were in single digits. One year there was zero. Yeah. So either we got better at tracking them or all hell is breaking loose. All hell is breaking loose. I mean, there is no, we just really don't have a border, a southern border. I mean, think of, you just mentioned in your thing that with a, there were, New York is going to send them back to Texas because they're crossing the border illegally. By the way, which is a federal problem. This is a federal border. The United States government should be protecting that border. And the crazy thing is we know how to do it. The first and simple thing to do, by the way, is just reinstate the remain in Mexico policy. You'll at least stop the Yeah. Right. Yesterday. Uh, and, and then, if, you know, if I, when I get to the Senate, we'll also make it that if you haven't applied for a visa in, in your home country, you're automatically spun around and sent Do you remember home. he said we have this new app, and if you, if you try to come here without trying to register before you get your green light, you, you're now banned. So in the beginning, for two or three weeks, nobody was coming and was down, and Joe Biden's like, hey, I solved the problem. Now I don't know what's going on because people are just coming across, and we're letting them through because we, they can't have their day in court for two, three, four years. Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to walk around the city streets. They are everywhere. Do you know that Mayor Adams says now there's a huge hooker problem, prostitute problem in places like Queens because they have nothing to do, no way to earn money. So they're actually giving us prostitution back in New York City like it's 1970 or, or 1870. This is unbelievable what they brought with them. They've sold out hotels. We have nowhere to put them. Now we're giving them tents and telling them to go to Central Park. How crazy is this? We've lost control, and it's dangerous. And remember, when you have that big influx of folks who probably their English skills aren't great, you are absolute prey for organized criminal games. Absolutely. And that's what you're going to see. That's why you're seeing that prostitution problem. In Michigan, just to relate it back, uh, our Oakland County, large uh, uh, county right up uh, abuts against the Detroit area, is seeing organized criminal activity that they know from illegal immigrants who across the border. These are gangs hitting these hitting uh, pretty high value targets in their mind. Northern border uh, or uh, uh, southern border. Southern Th- border. These folks wow. are these are these are uh, Latin gangs who have crossed the border who are conducting organized activity criminal activity in Michigan. So this isn't just about yeah. New York City, and it, you know, it's bad here, but it's everywhere. We uh, have to worry about this everywhere. I want to talk about your candidacy right after the break, but just, I want you to hear Aranio Mujica. He's a caravan leader, rounds up people and brings them to the border. Listen to what he told the cameras. Uh, cut 13. Joe Biden administration has, uh, has lost the ball, has lost the power, and, and America has, has not been paying attention to what's happening. Mexico is being 
uh, usually ganging up with all the countries to make sure that all this immigration goes straight into the United States. And, and that's, that's what it is. Every country has been just providing the rights, charging them 20 30 or $40, and then just pushing them in, pushing them in, all the way to the Mexican border. Where's the American intelligence? Don't they know that the, all the countries are conspiring against the United States to make sure they have this crisis? He's telling him. You're going to say that's a Trump supporter? This guy's not even American. He's telling the story in Mexico about how much money he's making and how ridiculous it is. Maybe he has a conscience or just wanted to tell the true, true story. Yeah, I think he knows at some point this has got to end or it's going to end badly. Right. And either one of those aren't great. I mean, it just tells you how the uh, the drug cartels and the crime organizations in Mexico and Latin America uh, know that this is a moneymaker for them. They're making huge amounts of money yeah. on human trafficking. They don't care about the consequence. And by the way, they don't care if you're you're a criminal or not. And by the way, what better way to get some of their gang members in new new territories right. in the United States, like I just talked about in Mexican, uh, Michigan, than f- having this f- free flow across the border. This Re- is dangerous for the future of the Rashida country. Rashida Tlaib is from? Michigan. And she believes that Hamas is a great group, and she condemns President Biden for supporting Israel. How many other people in Michigan feel that way? And will that hinder a guy like Mike Rogers from getting the vote and being the next senator there? We'll talk about that when we come back. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So Rashida Tlaib from uh, Michigan. Uh, was she representing her district, Mike Rogers? You want to be the next senator there. You were a congressman there. You live there. Was she representing the people of Michigan and her district when she came out for Hamas, condemning her president from her party? Not representing Michigan, representing maybe some in her district. But remember, there's a reason that we, and we have a very large Arab population but both Christian and Muslim in Michigan, they came here so that they could practice their religion freely. They did. They yeah. came here for opportunity in theory, uh, in theory. Yeah. Right. And they came here for a better education, a better opportunity, better prosperity. And it's the only place in the world you can have a Christian, a Jew, a Buddhist and a Muslim yeah. living on the same street, kids getting on the same bus. And so when she, I argue, when she tries to inflame the smaller part of that to this anti-Semitic uh, uh, position, uh, she's doing pretty. She's doing great harm to these mm-hmm. communities, uh, and it's easy to get radicalized when you have someone who is in such a high position, you know, basically radicalizing the younger, the youth folks, and right. saying, "Hey, this is terrible. This is terrible." Oh, by the way, we're talking about an act of terrorism that was so brutal they can't put put it on TV. Right, uh, and they only want to talk about Gaza, and the squad is really separated and divided. The Democratic Party for you running now. How has Michigan changed since you were a congressman? How are you going to change your message to represent the entire state, or do you? No, I think, listen, I think uh, the economy, the the government, big spending, big borrowing, and growing has caused inflation that has caused your groceries in the state of Michigan to go up. Groceries, household goods, and gas, about $700 per month under the Bidenomics plan that we're living under today. $700 a month. So I'm talking about those kinds of things. Uh, listen, I think you see the world. I think we need a steady hand on the national security front. That the decisions you got the FBI and military background huge, and so we talk a lot about that. Uh, and you know, we're talking about education. Think of this: the Chinese, and, and by the way, we're going to have we're in this strategic competition with China. 
And so we have to make decisions today for the destiny of the United States. Are we going to be in control of our economy, of our future, or are we going to succumb to the Chinese Communist Party uh, in all of their economics? My argument is I host all those uh, ideas uh, and, or talk about all those ideas and talk about real solutions, and we're attracting a lot of folks around this. A lot of people think if the Republicans are going to get majority in the Senate, it's going to be becoming a guy like you to win that seat. Uh, and I think they're right, and I think we're going to win. Mike Rogers, thanks so much. You even understand a hard break. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you got that radio background. Brian, kill me, Joe. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I am very sorry to say it, but I believe we're at a greater risk today for a major terrorist attack in the United States than we have been at any time since September 11th. And you combine war in the Middle East with an open border on our southern border that is an invitation from the Biden White House. If you're a terrorist and you want to murder Americans, come to Mexico and they'll let you in. That is dangerous as hell. That is Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Ted Cruz weighing in on the situation of the border. He brought Republicans down to see it because he can't believe it. And they they went on a night cruise because it's so abhorrent. I, I think I'm speaking to the choir when I say this, but it is so dangerous. It's so against our sovereignty. And it seems so it's a mix of being inept and being diabolical and allowing this to happen. You know, there was a theory 20 years ago that at the border, if you let if Hispanics in, they're going to vote for Democrats, and that's why they were doing it. Well, it takes so long for you to become a citizen in the best scenario, and there's so more, much more evidence now that Hispanics are not running to the Democratic Party. They may have the majority, but they're not definitely in your party, especially when they look around and seeing what you stand for and what has happened with your policies in the cities. So I don't even know what they're doing right now. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West lives it every day. He's in Texas, moved from Florida, former congressman uh, from Florida, and is with us now. Uh, Colonel, man, you guys are in the eye of the storm in Texas, and it's arguably never been worse. All-time high so far this year, and it's only November 1st in terms of illegals, most coming through your state. No, it's good to be with you, Brian, and you're absolutely right. And I think that when you look at the testimony from the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, just yesterday, where he talked about the, this is the, a, an incredible increased time of vigilance because we are under a huge threat from uh, the, a terrorist event happening. But when you look at what the Biden administration has done on the board, it's purposeful and intentional. They know exactly what is going on. They know about all of these single military age males that they're allowing in. They hear about the million to a million and a half gotaways who are people that we don't know where they are, who they are, uh, here freely in the United States of America. And, of course, when you have the debacle withdrawal in Afghanistan, that means that ISIS, al-Qaeda, uh, any Islamic terrorist group, they will work with the transnational narco-criminal terrorist groups, the cartels, to get people across the border, as you just stated. But shame on the FBI for focusing on parents as domestic terrorists or focusing on moms for liberty or, you know, infiltrating the Catholic Church because of people having a pro-life stance and conducting raids against their homes. So this entire administration from top to bottom, soup to nuts, is responsible for this being that the DHS, the Department of Justice, every single one of them. It, it is, and they don't want to fix it. You know, they keep saying, well, the, you know, the immigration system is broken and Congress has to act. That is not acceptable. There is plenty no. of room to play within these 
uh, within these rules uh, to get the remain in Mexico, pressure these uh, Central and South American countries uh, with aid that we give them and tariffs we could put on them. And we know where they come. We know how to do it. And it's not going to be 100 percent successful. And they do need immigration reform. But that is not nothing to do with this. It's like saying, well, well, I didn't get a good grade in my in my class, but we need educational reform in this country. That's not an OK answer. No, it's not an OK answer. And it's really them shifting the responsibility that they have under the Constitution that, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Article four, section four, the United States Constitution says that the federal government is supposed to guarantee that every state of the union to protect them from invasion. They have not done that. They have failed on that. And, and mark my words. If something by way of an Islamic terrorist attack happens in the United States of America, especially when we see all of these people in our streets, and you're experiencing it there in New York, that are openly supporting a terrorist organization that that killed Americans on October 7th, Joe Biden is done. I don't know who they're going to get to replace him because they still hold the same uh, policies and ideological beliefs. But I believe that Joe Biden and perhaps the greater Democrat Party is done. Colonel, don't scare me. I mean, if this guy wins, this is it's not a country that will be a little to the left. It'll be left in the garbage heap. He can't screw up any more than he's screwing up. You know what he's doing today? Going to Minnesota and telling the people of Minnesota Bidenomics is working. Good luck with that. Yeah. You didn't th- you think he would learn something in the summer. His numbers got worse when he went on the Bidenomics is good campaign. But I want you to hear Kaylee McGee White of the Washington Examiner, security expert, She just brought this to play since we know about October 7th. Cut 15. It's important to remind everyone that this is not a recent thing. This has been going on since Biden took office for the past two years, which is, by the way, how long it took Hamas to plan their terrorist attack on Israel. So for the same amount of time that Hamas has been planning this attack on Israel, we have had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, quite literally two million people this year alone infiltrating our southern border, entering our U.S. cities, and our government does not know where they are. They're not able to keep account for them. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they're coming from. It's a massive national security threat. And and think about that. Hamas successfully surprised the Mossad and all the intel experts they had, and they're right on their border, and they missed everything. They used hard lines. They did disinformation. And then when it was all said and done, it was the most horrific attack imaginable in modern times. Now, think about this. Go ahead. No, you know, you're absolutely right. And the uh, the clip that you play is absolutely right, because the thing is, you know, by by, you know, whatever happened, Israel lost operational control of their border. But here in the United States of America, we are purposely losing operational control of our border. And so we are setting ourselves up for exactly what we saw happen. And how interesting it was last week, uh, and this is something that the American people should pay attention to. Last week was the 40th remembrance of what happened with the Beirut barracks bombing, October the 23rd of 1983. Hezbollah was responsible for that, and they're backed by Iran. Now, at the end of the week, guess what is allowed? The, Israel, the Iranian foreign minister is granted a visa to come here to the United States of America and issue a threat against the United States of America. Why do you think he could confidently do that? First of all, he shouldn't have been granted a visa because he knows they have terrorist cells that are operating here that are just waiting for the green light. 
And, and on top of that, you still have the left talking about, you know, gun control to, to take away the ability of legal law-abiding citizens to protect themselves and defunding the police. At the same time, they're allowing millions of people into this country illegally, that they have no idea who they are, where they are, and many of them, again, single military-age males. Uh, so that's where we're at. Uh, we have been hit 27 times at uh, our bases of 2,500 guys in Iraq and 900 in Syria. We've answered back once. Secretary Austin said we'll answer by the time and place of our choosing. Uh, <laughs> he does not want to start World War III. He brings, brings 300 more Marines into the region. What is going on? What is the correct response? Well, the the thing is that the reality of your enemy must eventually become your own uh, before it's too late. And I get concerned with this mission creep thing. You know, 900 here, 300 there. What's their task and purpose? What's their rules of engagement? Because what happened at the Beirut barracks bombing 40 years ago was that the guards there were not allowed to have uh, rounds chambered in their their weapons. So those trucks were able to drive right through the quote-unquote guard posts and barricades and kill 254 Marines, soldiers, and sailors. Striking back at a warehouse is not a response, Uh, and I think that what we need to do is have a target array of these, uh, you know, terrorist uh, bases and these terrorist rocket and missile positions. And and again, let's not forget, Hamas killed 30 Americans on October 7th of this year. So let's not just sweep that aside. You have Palestinian Americans that are, you know, trapped in Gaza. Let's not sweep that aside. You have Americans that are part of the 230-some-odd hostages that are being held. Let's not sweep this aside. So you can sit around and say, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. We don't want to get engaged in whatever. The enemy is saying, we're bringing the fight to you. That's exactly what the Iranian foreign minister said from the United Nations in New York City on American soil last week. We're going to fight you, and we're bringing the fight to you, and we're going to cause harm and consequences and ramifications to you. The only two things they understand, Brian, and you and I have said this many times before, we've talked about it, strength and might. Appeasement, negotiation, compromise, uh, acquiescence, that's a sign of weakness. That's why what is happening in the world, not just with the Middle East, but the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the incursion into Ukraine, the threats from China against Taiwan, is because this administration is all about weakness. I think so. Uh, I I would add to to this, though. Uh, New York Times is reporting, and Trey Yink says, I, I I can't comment on it because he's been briefed, that we do have special ops on the ground in Gaza, uh, get looking out for our guys, trying to find these hostages. So I don't know if you've ever been there, but you understand the schematics and you've seen the overheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm op- you know, If they get people on the ground that will talk, that might be our best option to get them out. I do not like waiting for Qatar to tell us when uh, to be the brokers of this uh, of these of these uh, prisoner swaps. No, the Qataris are playing both sides against each other. And remember that Hamas leadership resides in Doha, in in Qatar. So what they're seeking to do is use the hostage situation to, you know, draw this out. You know, two hostages here, two hostages there. Uh, We cannot allow, you know, Hamas any opportunity or the time to fortify their position. So, yes, I am, you know, without a doubt, we are developing an intelligence picture on the ground and trying to use human intelligence, human, in order to 
ascertain uh, what is happening as far as those hostages on the ground and do the best we can to recover them. But in the meantime, you still have to put the pressure on Hamas. Uh, and, and I think that part of the uh, thing about humanitarian relief, which uh, Tony Blinken said he can't guarantee it won't go to Hamas uh, anyhow, is to say that we're going to continue to isolate and put this pressure on uh, the Gaza Strip un- until the hostages are released. But w- regardless, Hamas has to be destroyed. And I'm glad to see that there is a corridor that is open for people that want to get out of Gaza and get into Egypt. But Hamas has to go away, as, as well as Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, and to an even lesser extent, Fatah. Yeah, but and then when it's all said and done, do you have a partner? Is there a, a, a Masood of the Northern Alliance that we could have appeared uh, with and Bin Laden knew it and killed him before 9-11? Mm-hmm. Is there somebody like that? We have not seen it. People want me to keep separating the Palestinians from Hamas, but they don't want me to separate them. I never see a difference. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And think about this. When you hear these college students talking about, you know, Israeli-occupied Gaza, that ended in 2005. Uh, And the people there in Gaza, they elected, they brought in, they wanted the Hamas uh, leadership. And so it's kind of like, you know, going back to World War II, uh, that it was total war against Germany. It was total war against Japan. Uh, And now you had Italian partisans, and we work with them to undermine and overthrow Mussolini and the fascist Italians, but where are the partisans in Hamas? Uh, where, I mean, in the Gaza, where are the partisans in the areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority? Where are the partisans in mm-hmm. Lebanon that we can use to work against Hezbollah? I don't see him, uh, Colonel Allen West. I have a book coming out that I know you will love. Uh, Teddy and yes. Booker T are two American icons, forge a path to racial equality. What? Well, why do you like Booker T so much? Booker T. Washington is really the father of black conservatism. When he talked about education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance, we need to get back to that in the black community. But think about this, you know, and, and all of these, you know, conversations you hear people about, you know, being a victim and how America is a racist nation. Here's a man that was born into slavery who ended up becoming one of the greatest educators and orators in our country and was the first black man hosted in the White House by President Theodore Roosevelt and also hosted another American president there at his institution, Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, and that was uh, President McKinley. And then uh, Teddy Roosevelt came down there, too, and eventually joined the board. Uh, mm-hmm. And together they would put the – he would use him as his southern aide. I need the best judges, postmasters, dock workers. You, you tell me the best people. Uh, and Booker T said, you got it. Uh, and he, yeah. that was a segregated south, and you know all about that. Yes, and and so the thing was Booker T. Washington was about how he could help people become victors and not make them into victims. And I think that's the beauty of who he is. That's why he's my ideological mentor, and that's why I'm excited to get your book in my hands. I'm going to mail it out to you. Can you text me your address, please? I'm going to mail it out to you. I will do that, my friend. All right, and it comes out November 7th. Thanks so much, uh, Colonel Allen West. God bless and God be with you. Go get them, Brian. <laughs> and stay within yourself. That would be the complete. So listen, uh, go to BrianKillMe.com. My first event is going to be November 9th. And the book comes out on a week from yesterday. So I'll be at the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey. So if it's a really cool place. Uh, it's almost sold out. Uh, then I'm going to be in Ponte Vedra uh, on the 10th, on the 11th at the Villages, on the 12th in Vero Beach, on the 14th in Madison, Connecticut, and then after the Patriot Awards, they're going to go about an hour away 
uh, from Nashville to Brentwood, then Chattanooga, Tennessee on the night 18th, Madison, Alabama, then Montgomery, Alabama, and then the day at, the day before th- the day after Thanksgiving, no, two days after Thanksgiving, Saturday, the 25th, I'll be in Bayshore, Long Island at the Barnes & Noble, and then Pleasant Beach, uh, New Jersey at the Little Point Bookshop, way south, right by where Dana Perino lives, but don't go to her house, uh, Eureka, Missouri, and then Dallas, Texas on December 2nd, December 3rd, Verhope, Alabama. I gave you a lot. Then don't forget WHIO listeners, December 8th, I'll be there. So I hope to see everybody in person, a lot of opportunities, and I can't wait to, to talk about the book. On the live shows, I talk about everything, and I get a chance to hear your questions, and that's arguably the most fun. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, We're talking about Israel aid. We haven't really brought that up. The idea they have now with the new speaker is let's separate it, $14 billion, and let's take it from the IRS agents, the 87,000 that we don't need. Uh, Mysteriously, I still don't understand what that was about. So the Republicans in the House, excuse me, in the Senate, like Mitch McConnell, go, no, let's put – Taiwan, let's put Taiwan aid, let's put border aid, and let's put Ukraine aid all together. The $64 billion, make it $110 billion and put it out there. And Mike Johnson says, no, I think we should just make it paid for, don't print it, and we'll vote on it. So I think it'll probably pass the House, and the Senate will die. And the president said, if I get $14 billion of just Israeli aid and it's repurposed from IRS, I won't sign it. Rand Paul told me this morning he'll sign it because he's not going to deny $14 billion to Israel. I don't know if he will. Uh, Newt Gingrich said this, cut 17. I mean, how stupid can you be? He's pretty stupid, and now he's going to set an all-time record. I think that Speaker Mike Johnson may well become a historic figure in the first couple weeks of his speakership because he's doing two things, not just one. First, he is saying we're going to take this huge, gigantic $106 billion proposal, which is really five different bills, as I noticed, noted in a newsletter at Gingrich 360. We're only going to deal with the first one, which is the most urgent. That's Israel. And we're going to bring it up. And do you really want to vote against helping Israel? Interesting. Uh, I do want Ukraine aid in there. Separate out and debate it. Go ahead. Uh, but we do not want Russia to win. They need the aid. And Russia's got to know that we've got Ukraine's back. They've lost about 50% of their fighting force. That's how great the Ukrainians are fighting. Uh, But everyone's got to realize you can't deny Ukraine aid and also complain about the president leaving Afghanistan because the thing they have in common, you're quitting both and willing to lose. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be joined by uh, Chris Sununu, uh, the governor of New Hampshire, who's not going to run again. Kind of surprised me. And Martha McCallum, who might try to run for governor of New Hampshire now that Chris Sununu won't run. She's coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll talk to the governor then. 
And we have a lot to discuss now. The Secretary of State, excuse me, Secretary of Defense is meeting with Saudi Arabia's Secretary of Defense today. That should be interesting. Our Secretary of State is going over to Israel quickly. What is he going to tell Benjamin Netanyahu? Evidently, it is to pull your foot off the gas. I'm not sure he is uh, somebody that's coachable. But while we wait for the governor, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They have grown in the ensuing 60 years to the point where they have multiple chapters on almost every United States and Canadian college campus. They're basically a factory for Sharia supremacist and anti-Semitic literature. And Andy McCarthy did a book on it. It's beyond alarming. The rise of anti-Semitism on campuses across the country and around the country and around the world. The good news is I think people are standing up to it. Number two. Day 26 of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. You can hear the fighter jets overhead. We've been watching as the Israelis continue airstrikes against the Strip. That is Trey Yanks. Latest on the war in Israel. There's been over 11,000 airstrikes. IDF has lost 11 fighters yesterday to Hamas. The fighting's been very intense. We have not seen a lot of it. We're just hearing the results. Number one. These attacks actually go back two years. They started to pick up in tempo uh, going stretching back two years, and by my count, we're over 110. With the tempo of the last ten, two to three weeks actually picking up markedly, and clearly they are connected. And there's been about five retaliations of our troops who are overseas in a battle area, Iraq and Syria, 27 times since October 7th. We've answered back one time, and while our southern border is wide open, people cannot feel good about our security right now as a country. Governor Sununu, welcome back. Hey, Brian. How we doing, buddy? Good. What do you think the Secretary of State's going to say to Benjamin Netanyahu? Why do you think he's rushing over to Israel? Yeah, you know, I, I get the sense that it is to try to put the brakes on, on some of the aggression, um, uh, so, so to say. But that's not going to happen. I'm not even saying it, it, it really should happen. I mean, Israel is, was, was absolutely attacked. This, is a, this isn't a dispute over territory or anything like that. This is a group. These Hamas killers want to literally wipe out every... Jew on the planet. I mean, that's their goal. They want the second Holocaust. So to go in and then tell the leader of the Jew of the Israeli state back off a little bit, that, that's not going to go very well. And unfortunately, we haven't shown strength across the, the world in a, in a systematic way. We, we don't always back up our friends with this Biden administration. So it, it comes from a, I think the argument would be coming from a place of weakness in itself. So I, I just don't think that Yahoo is going to uh, pay attention to, to much that we have to say. So uh, are you surprised uh, of Columbia University, Cornell? Well, we're seeing it at NYU. We're seeing it at the uh, all the schools, at the California state schools. This uh, sympathy towards Hamas to the Palestinians and condemnation right. of Israelis. Has this surprised Governor Sununu? It, it should surprise everybody. Right. Because, again, this isn't some sort of territorial dispute and even killed match here. This is these are killers that came in and, and we saw the brutality that they were willing to inflict, um, you know, on October 7th. So uh, I was asked to speak at Harvard about a week ago. I told them to go screw. I said, no, we're not doing this because they're their kind of capitulation to these student groups who are on the side of, of absolute uh, murderous killers. And and that's what it is. And now I'm a parent. I got a couple kids and, and you know, that age and that kind of college age. I don't just put it on the students. We're the parents talking to their to their to their children that are part of these groups that are part of these these demonstrations. These young adults are so 
it isn't Republican Democrat here, guys. It isn't progressive conservative. They are just so off base in terms of what they think they're protesting about. I don't even think they know and understand the issues at bear here. They're just kind of going with whatever the progressives tell them to do. They're going with that ultra-progressive wing, and it's dangerous. It isn't just a, you know, we have a disagreement of philosophy here. This is dangerous thinking where it is okay to now support a group of terrorists that are going to brutally murder, um, you know, not just innocent civilians, but our allies, our, our compatriots, people that have, have, you know, fought for the freedom of their own homeland. And that's okay. Now, this is nothing that I think anybody saw coming. But and it's not just Harvard. It's not just Yale. It's in real. It's really all across. I mean, we see it a lot in the colleges, but it, it's everywhere. Um, by the way, we just have to tell you that the Rafa Gate is open for injured uh, Palestinians and for foreigners to get out. So that's beginning to open up a little bit. They should pressure Egypt to open up the gate for uh, for civilians and get the kids out of there because Hamas needs to be destroyed. But, Governor, normally I ask you about the Republican race, and I will. But first, Democrats. Dean Phillips is in, and he wants to be uh, in the New Hampshire primary. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't. And because he wants to be there, he is uh, causing all types of unrest on the left. What is the situation? Are you guys, for the Democrats, the first primary? Oh, we're the first primary. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Joe Biden tried to tried to move the, the primary out of New Hampshire to South Carolina. It didn't work. Uh, the Iowa Democrats thought about trying to take it and put a primary in Iowa. That didn't work. We're first. We're going first. That's all there is. Joe Biden won't be on the ballot. Um, but he, here's a newsflash for Joe Biden. Nobody cares. <laughs> like Nobody really cares that Joe Biden's not on the ballot here. There's not some giant clamoring wing of the Democrat Party. I wish I could vote for Joe Biden in the New Hampshire primary. Well, they're moving on. They've given up on him. They're moving on. I think Dean Phillips has a huge opportunity here to just crack the Democrat Party wide open. Now, that's going to happen, whether it happens with Dean Phillips in New Hampshire, whether it happens at the convention or somewhere in between. I've always been a believer that Biden likely isn't on that ballot come November of 24. So one way or another, it's going to happen. But this is the first serious crack in the egg. Biden, whether he realizes you know, what a gaffe he's made or not, I don't I mean, there's a lot more important things he should be realizing, which he clearly doesn't. So um, I don't know how in tune he is to the situation, but there's a huge problem in the Democrat Party, and, and that fracturing is starting right here in New Hampshire. And to Dean Phillips' credit, he's going he's gonna to work it the right way. He's already got support from, from some of our legislators. He's got support from individuals who used to support Biden. He's going to go town to town and diner to diner. He's got three about three months here to really uh, make a, a name for himself, and that's more than enough time considering Biden isn't even on the ballot. Well, now all of a sudden you guys are getting ripped because there's too many white people in your state, and that's not emblematic of the diverse Democratic Party. You have heard that, and now Phillips says that's the problem with the Democratic Party. They're too divisive. Just go win New Hampshire. And now Clyburn's coming back at him, and then he comes back and says he's disappointed in James Clyburn. He should know better. And now more people are coming back at Phillips. Unwind this for me. Yeah, so look, look, the, the idea that they were going to move the Democrat first in the nation primary to South Carolina because it was had more um, a representation of people of color. But you forget one key point. They don't vote. And, and they basically have the party bosses tell everyone how to vote. They have, a, they have one of the lowest voter turnouts in the entire country. What's the point of having great representation uh, if you're not allowing them to, to vote? If you, it, 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 and there's still even a question, by the way, whether they hold the Democrat primary in South Carolina. They may just give it to Biden. They did that for Trump in 2020. They may not even hold a, a primary there. So it's, they've 
really screwed this thing up. They've caused a big mess. Uh, New Hampshire, we haven't changed a thing. We're still going first. This is where the arguments are going to be laid down with the individuals and the citizens. Uh, and the media is here. The attention is here. And that's why Dean Phillips has a real shot and opportunity. You have these party bosses, these elitists like Claiborne, who just think that, well, if I, you have my people that have my endorsement, you know, that's all that matters. No, it's the citizens that matter. It's the, the actual voters that matter, not these elitists in the Democrat Party. And, and this is just a huge opportunity for the Democrat Party to kind of get back to basics, do it the right way. And God bless Dean Phillips. He's leading the charge. Yeah, it turns out that Representative Benny Thompson, he of January 6th uh, fame, says that Phillips' decision to go to New Hampshire is disrespectful to voters of color. What? What, what, is that, how, what, what does that mean? Like, I, I, I don't even have a response to that, Brian. I, I, I'm not even sure what that means. That sounds like people just, you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater. It really does. I'm just going to say something to scare everybody and put a, a negative light on Dean Phillips' campaign, even though, look, he's a super nice guy. He's a very accomplished individual. Don't agree with him politically on pretty much anything. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you that. But he's going to run the race the way it should be run, person to person, asking for their vote, earning the vote, not just earning uh, the approval of a couple elites that uh, that'll hand it to you, you know, when you really haven't earned it on the ground. I mean, you remember Biden, he he didn't engage in the press. He, he campaigned from his basement. He got his clock cleaned in New Hampshire back in, in 2020. And it, that's what it needed. Um, for, he was lucky enough to have a party structure that didn't really listen to voters, only listened to elitists. And that's how that's how we ultimately get the nomination. Hopefully, Democrats can smarten up and realize that they can't keep going down that path or that or they get, you know, out of touch millionaire old white guys that have no connection to the party base of, of, of the progressives. So there's a huge opportunity on the Democrat side to kind of get back to basics. On the Republican side, we're still doing our thing, right? We're having an open primary. There's still a lot, a lot of votes out there to be to be moved. Um, a lot of voters won't decide who they're voting for until you know, maybe December or even January. So there's still a lot of room for all the candidates to, to make a move here on Trump. On a real clear average in New Hampshire, Trump's got 46.3, Haley 14.8, DeSantis 10.5, and Christie 8.5. Is that what you're hearing on the ground? That's about right. Yeah, that's about right. Um, and, and I wouldn't, wouldn't expect it to move. I won't expect those numbers to move until after Thanksgiving. Uh, it depends on what happens in the third. I mean, remember, the third debate is going to be interesting, right? Because there's going to be about half as many people on the stage. They're going to have about twice as much airtime. Going to be a little chippier, maybe, than, than we've seen before. Um, and they they got to they can't just keep repeating the same thing, right? So they got to come with something new and exciting and a little bit inspirational. So I think the third debate is going to be pretty pivotal. I wouldn't see those poll numbers move until slightly after Thanksgiving. That's typically when New Hampshire voters start getting down to business, talking to family members, and and they start saying, okay, who, where are we going to go here? And I think if someone can get some momentum, probably Haley or DeSantis, if one of those those two can, can get a lot of momentum and really surge here, then you can start seeing a race where people start consolidating behind one of them and, uh, and moving forward. So you think on the stage, I know uh, Tim Scott's having trouble qualifying for the next debate, and Governor Burgum, too, you like him. I know you guys are friends. Governor Burgum, too, is having trouble qualifying. Do you think it's going to be four? I think it could be four. Yeah, four, maybe five. Yep, I think so. And and for all those folks, you know, three months ago, I said, well, the field won't narrow itself down. It just is, right? The, the RNC is actually doing, I think, a pretty good job, you know, making sure that we have a, a, a strong discussion on issues and not just getting 15 people their, their five minutes of fame on a stage. They're making it tougher to, to enter those debates. I have no problem with that. 
And, and as you said, these are all great candidates. I mean, they're all great. Some will qualify, some won't. Some are hitting, you know, their marks. Some aren't. Um, but they're all great. But ultimately, it really does have to be narrowed down. And so if you get to four or five, you know, viable candidates by Iowa and New Hampshire, you start narrowing this down to one-on-one with Trump and, and somebody else before the first, before, you know, Super Tuesday, now you got a real race. You really do. Now it's a 50-50 up for grabs. And anyone with political momentum could steal this thing. Right. And so far, have you uh, changed your mind at all that Trump can't win? Uh, on, in November, no. I mean, Biden's making it easier, but I don't think Biden's on the ticket. If I, if, if I was sure Biden was on the ticket, I'd say, yeah, maybe Trump could actually beat that guy. It ain't going to be him, Brian. It's not. They're going to give this to somebody else. And the new fresh face, if you will, uh, on a presidential ticket is going to get all the excitement in the world. You could have a horrible governor like Gavin Newsom, as bad as that guy is at his job, and there's not many that has ever ever been worse. Maybe Cuomo. He's terrible. Uh, but he, but he'll be a, a new face that hasn't been attacked, and they'll be able to brush off some of the very clear arguments against him. But it, it'll still be hard when he's going against someone like Trump. He'll galvanize a lot of the independents on his side, and that's just a reality Republicans have to face. It doesn't. You know what the issue of this campaign is? It's not abortion. It's not the economy. It's not jobs. It's winning. Winning is the issue for Republicans in 2024. So let's find any of these other candidates that we know can cross the line with the victory in November. Because it's so dramatic. This country will look dramatically different if Republicans don't win. And please try to tell oh, me how the policies of the previous four years weren't better than these. Please, I don't know if anyone can make that argument. Lastly, you know the electoral process beyond New Hampshire. What is too late? When is too late to change the horse in the race? I think Super Tuesday. I think if, if Super March. Tuesday can be a 50-50. Yeah, I think if that, that can be a 50-50 gambit between Trump and somebody else. We have a shot. If Trump just runs the table on Super Tuesday, that's it. It's toast. I mean, No, it, no, it, no. I'm talking about Republicans. When, when oh. the Democrats have to make a decision on oh, whether Biden's going to be out. No. See, I think Biden himself, Jill Biden and Biden himself, could make that decision going into the convention. Yeah. See, they, they may give it up. They may actually give it up, but they'll give it up to who they want. They'll be kingmakers, if you will. Right? They'll say, we're going to tell all of our delegates that we've earned in the primary process to go here and here. And therefore, not only are they not in office anymore, they've gone out, people thank them, and they get to be kingmakers for the next generation of Democrats. That's a, that's a very enticing to, to, probability. Governor, it's a, it's a scenario, but not one that's ever been done. And it would mean you'd have to bypass Harris, who's awful. 60 Minutes feature proved that again. So they're trying to make her look good. So I've never heard that scenario where you go and give your delegates to somebody else. Yeah, well, look, I've never heard of a scenario where the, you know, someone like that that is running against eight other contenders in the Republican primary doesn't get on the debate stage. I've never heard a scenario where you have a, 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 a literally a senile president who can't keep his words together, yet still may become president again, or a scenario where the leading Republican candidate might end up in jail. I mean, this is a year of never been done (laughs) scenarios, so let's put it all on the table and have fun watching the show. And by the way, if you want to come to the circus, i got a front row seat. Anyone, come on up to New Hampshire. We'll bring you around. I bring everybody around. This is the place to be, Brian. It's wild. When is the date? The, you know, I'm not uh, not announced. I likely January 23rd, but that is not the date. I, I don't announce that. The Secretary of State will okay. make a, a formal announcement soon, but late late January is likely. He is uh, Governor uh, Chris Sununu. Governor, thanks so much. All right, thanks, brother. Be All good. Right, have a great day. When we come back, we're going to uh, welcome in Martha McCallum. I hope she's in a good mood. 
Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. We got a few minutes here with uh, the great Martha McCallum. Uh, Martha, you got a big show coming up for you at three o'clock. Have you settled on guests yet? Uh, we have Tom Nidus, who is the former U.S. ambassador to Israel. Um, you know, there. So we have we're in between ambassadors, as you know. And I just got a report that five American aid workers got out the Rafa gate. But, you know, this is the work of the of the consulate, the American right. consulate. Right. They have to deal with these Americans. Why have we never seen we don't have one picture Nothing. of one of the 32 dead Americans. Have you ever seen anything no. like this? We have no images of any of these people who are supposedly held unaccounted for. The language is so Strange. I'm sure it's intentional, but it just leaves so many question marks uh, for us. Like we don't have families of saying my uh, right. My relative was killed over there. Um, So that is is strange. I don't know. Uh, Why does the number keep changing on how many people are being held hostage and what kind of intelligence we have? The number's up to 233 now. And it keeps going up yeah. every day. Even so though we are got they five taking out. more people? Because honestly, when you're not letting people leave a country, you are kidnapping them. Right. right. I mean, that, that, that's the definition of kidnapping. If you prevent me from going somewhere, um, you're holding me against my will. So it, it, the, the numbers keep going up. So Martha's going to stick around. Uh, she's got her big show coming up at 3 o'clock, the story. And we're going to break all this down. Uh, there's so much going on as we speak, uh, including a Donald Trump trial in Colorado and in New York. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I look at all these attacks that are going against U.S. positions in the Middle East, and it seems like Biden has has people there that are effectively sitting ducks. Uh, They're there and probably too small a numbers to to really uh, do, do a whole lot, but they're in sufficient numbers where they're an inviting target. And the response to those attacks uh, has been abysmal what they they uh, bombed a couple empty IRGC buildings. So he's inviting more attacks against our troops. They're not doing anything to hold Iran accountable. That is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis seeing the 27th attack come across since the October 7th massacre in, in Israel. And they're saying, why are we not answering? It makes no sense. Well, we don't want to start World War Three. The best way to start World War Three is to show a weakness. And we are showing these is this Iranian affiliated militias nothing but weakness. We will attack at a time of our choosing. Oh, I choose now. Martha McCallum is with us now. She chose to be here. You're here in your free will, correct, Aunt Martha? Absolutely. You don't have to be here. <laughs> it's not like the pandemic where they told us we had to go home. <laughs> but so, what's what's your thought about what Governor Santa said? Well, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who agree with him. I think that Iran understands strength. There's no doubt about it. And you, if you don't believe Ron DeSantis, you can talk to um, people who have fought against the 
the own regime in Iran, Iranians who left Iran, who understand how they respond. You can look at the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Everyone was, oh, no, what's going to happen now? What's the response going to be to that? It was just, you know, sort of some relatively mean, meaningless missiles that were fired to to sort of make a, a point. But they were they were put back on their heels by that in a large way. This is a battle between Iran, which U.S. presidents have sought to isolate over decades, right? That was really the policy of the Bush administration and Condoleezza Rice as well. Do everything you can to isolate Iran. Now, you have what, what one really interesting thing to watch is Saudi Arabia in all of this. Watch the UAE. Watch um, Oman. Watch these countries. Yesterday, the uh, one of the spokesmen for the ministry in the UAE came out and said, we stand by the Abraham Accords. This is what we want. I think there's an effort going on in those countries to sort of continue to bond together, to maintain this tie with Israel, this yep. economic tie that they work so hard on in the face of everything that's going on. Because they know that Iran, you know, one of their big motivations was this to break that apart. And they're interestingly saying in the sort of periphery of all that's going on, watch that situation. Watch the Abraham Accords countries because that is going to be one of the pivotal movements that matter in terms of what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of nuance here. Iran's the problem. Look at the Houthi rebels, that's Iran. Hezbollah, Iran. Hamas, Iran. Islamic Jihad, Iran. We don't, don't say the Arab world's against Israel. Not really. I mean, the Arab world, the street has reacted to the pounding of Gaza. No question about it. But nobody says, I want to run to Shia world. It's a wonderful place. The Iranians seem to be having such a great time. They're trying to take over everything in the Middle East. And Saudi Arabia, over the last two and a half years, they say has made more progress economically uh, than almost any Middle East country outside Israel ever they don't want to go back. I mean, think about the fact that um, that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia said to Brett, we, we see a future where Israel and Saudi Arabia are the two leaders in the Middle East. Can you imagine the heads exploding in Iran right. when they heard that? And, you know and who then Netanyahu said the Israel. same thing, right? We see a future where Saudi Arabia and Netanyahu and Israel are, are the guiding leaders of a new Middle East Iran, again, heads exploding. And what do you have a few weeks later? This horrific, horrific attack on October the 7th. So they need to be pushed back in this moment. They need to be sent clear messages, military strikes at the, you know, in places that it hurts them and makes it very clear to them that they, you know, that the world around them is not interested in going backwards. I don't know if you know this already. Uh, Excuse me if you do, but Jordan has recalled the. Israel envoy uh, over the bombings in Gaza uh, twice in as many days. Uh, we know the Jordanian king blew off our president, and yeah. then they, they made a lot of hoopla over the president talking to him on speakerphone yesterday. So yeah. Jordan and Egypt are tough because the people sympathize with people of Gaza. But I would love to see a leader act like a leader. I also would like to see pressure on Egypt to open up the Rafa Gate and allow they some tents to They have started to today. So there are people going through. I just saw that five American aid workers went through the Rafa Gate. So we're going to speak on the story this afternoon with the former ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, who uh, has stepped down in July. But about this, you know, this is the work of our consulate in Israel to try to make sure that Americans are accounted for. We know who the hostages are. We know who was killed. We know who needs to get through the gate. And we make sure that 
that that happens. So I guess it's starting to happen to some extent. But you're right. Jordan is, is very interesting to watch. Queen Rania is Palestinian. Yeah. And I watched her interview. Very sympathetic to the Palestinian plight. And I, I understand that. I, I, I think that you can see, you know, you, you can see her sympathy for what's happening to the Palestinian people. And I understand that. That is that is intertwined but separate from Hamas. And that's one of the things that needs to be made much clearer in the way that people approach this story who are sticking up for the Palestinians. They need to be, you know, that needs to be carved out. But you can tell King Abdullah is very torn in this moment. He has a very, uh, you know, he doesn't have oil. He hangs on to his royal leadership in Jordan in a very tenuous way. And this is a difficult moment for them. Right. Uh, and But he loves the West. He, he went to school out he here. He went to Deerfield Academy for yeah. high school. Um, and he's had a great relationship with many U.S. presidents and leaders. So that is a relationship that, you know, th- that can be I, – I think it can be saved. But it is um, very tricky at the moment. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I would be very much more comfortable with a president that was a little bit more uh, – had a little bit more steel in his spine when it comes to sticking up for our troops. I got this e- email – and I always thought about that, too. If, if my son or daughter was serving in Iraq and they're getting rocketed every day and can't hit back or Syria. Yeah. And then this dad uh, wrote me, Rob, doesn't want me to give his name from New Jersey, says my son is active duty. Right now he's in Alaska and he's going over to Syria. He says where the bases are being hit on a daily basis. I don't want to see my son have to go to war, but uh, I could tell you it's easier to go uh, to a shootout with a domestic call, at least the shootout, he knows what he's getting into. Complacency doesn't protect our troops. Strength does. If it ends up in a war to defend our troops, then so be it. We are not the ones starting it to weigh in to finish it. When these bases are hit, I am appalled at this president's response. We need to hit back. We need to hit back harder than they hit us every single time. That's that we're not even doing anything like that. And Martha, you can't explain to me we don't know exactly where they are. We know Iraq like the back of our hands, like we know New Jersey. And we know exactly who they are, where they're from. Absolutely. We got their communications. No, but but it's the same posture that we saw with Russia, right? This this fear of ever looking tough, ever looking escalatory. Ever look, ever appearing that you're going to get in the way of what that you're just trying to manage the situation, right? You can't manage these situations. These situations explode. And anyone who thinks that all of these leaders aren't watching the reaction of the United States and aren't coordinating what they can get away with based on the attention of our leadership is kidding themselves. What was your takeaway? I know you were actually probably preparing for your show. No, you did you do a uh, Dana show yesterday? Yeah, uh, a, a segment. A segment, okay. So did you see how much of the Chris Ray testimony did you see? A, a fair amount. I find that very compelling. Yeah, when, uh, the, but, when the FBI director says that the terror level's gone to a whole nother level, right. that's going to get your attention. Here's what he said, cut eight. I am concerned, as I said in my opening statement, that foreign terrorist organizations, traditional, formal terrorist organizations, whether they be al-Qaeda or ISIS or Hezbollah, have all made statements uh, that would indicate a greater risk of a potential attack here by them. Uh, We are not currently tracking an imminent credible threat from a foreign terrorist organization, a structured attack here or something like that, but it is something that we think heightened vigilance is warranted for. Right, and he couldn't answer the question, is Joe Biden, he goes, is the world safer or less safe than it is under Joe Biden or his previous administration, just long pause, because mm-hmm. he knows everything is on fire. He can't, but he doesn't want to be political. 
So he had a, the longest pause I've ever seen. And he just finally goes on to say there's a lot of challenges right now. And then how can you look at the border and say, well, it's no problem. Do you know anyone outside Joe Biden and his family yeah. who think the border isn't a problem? No, Adam Smith the actually said it's just and obviously migrate. we have people on the terror watch list. I think the last count is somewhere around 160, which is absolutely unprecedented. It used to be a major situation if 10 or 12 list? people were detected having gotten across. Think about this. Put yourself back in a 9-11 mindset because I hope that I'm wrong, but that could, we could be there again. Yeah. If if it is tied back to any of these individuals who got into this country, I mean, think about the people who flew those planes. Think about the individuals who have made it across the border. And and I, I listening to Chris Ray and I'm watching on one of the monitors, you know, this this anti Semitism at Cornell University. Are these students gonna be cheering? When someone attacks the United States, when Hamas attacks the United States, will all of these fresh faced kids be jumping up and down and be happy when Hamas slaughters people in this country? They might. I think I'm asking the question. Sadly, I don't have an answer. Right. I mean, I think they might. And as Andy McCarthy, you've got to book him for your show. He kind of surprised me with he say I wrote a book about the infiltration of Muslim Brotherhood into our college campuses starting in the 60s and accelerated to epic proportions now. But I always thought if you're going to sell something, it has to be attractive. It has to be alluring. What is alluring about Hamas, death, destruction, annihilating a country you've never been to for a people you don't understand? How are you? I can see if you're militarizing Muslim kids who have a heritage there, but you're actually getting American kids born here yeah. thinking that the Palestinians have been forced off their land and this is the only way for it to get back to actually butcher people. Well, you know, like I said before, I, I can understand a debate that can be had with people who are sympathetic to the situation of the Palestinians. Nobody has wanted them like they can't go anywhere, right? Their own countries that should be sympathetic to them do almost nothing for them. Jordan has taken about 2 million, I think of, of the Palestinians into Jordan. They're in a terrible, they, they have a terrible, Don't terrible they situation. Had the West bank to Gaza would have been enough with a bridge in 1993 when it was offered to them. They would have paved that place with gold. I mean, there have been so many deals that came so close, right? When you look back to Arafat, you look back to Abbas, right? So many deals that came so close. And the breaking point for those deals was when the Palestinian leader went back to his people and said, well, they'll still be in Israel. No, no, that's it. That's the deal breaker. There can't still be an Israel at the end of this. They will not accept it. And so... Yeah, I, I mean, it, Arafat it is, said as much. He said, absolutely. if I do this deal, they will kill me. They literally will kill me. Absolutely. So don't waste our time. So it's, you know, and to see these kids sort of, I just, I really think they're so uneducated, most of them, that I think that they don't understand. They have no sense of history, no understanding. You know, they all, they should all sit down in a room together and watch Schindler's List. Right. And then have a conversation afterwards. I, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, there are, there have been mistakes made. All countries make mistakes, right? All countries. But you have to have at least come to this from, from a place of understanding the situation of the, over the last several decades. Understood. Martha McCallum, a few more minutes when we come back. Her show starts at 3 o'clock. She has the ability in that period to change outfits. I don't recommend you do that. <laughs> I like the one you have. I'm staying right where we are. Do you bring clothes into work? I'm not a big Outfit changer. No, I like to get dressed in the morning and, you know, is that I, don't, the, I don't like to focus on it all that much, honestly. Is that the main reason that you don't do SNL, too many costume changes? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it is actually. I don't want to do that. that. That's my deal breaker. Too many costume changes. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Martha McCallum in studio. We got a few more minutes together, Martha. Uh, I truly appreciate it um, that you have this time. I do want to bring up 2024 if we can. And Dean Phillips going into this race. I just talked to Governor Chris Nunu about it. He's going to New Hampshire. And the backlash he's getting from James Clyburn and people say, why would you go there? As if he made a racist move to go to New Hampshire. He's like, what are you talking about? Because that's the problem with the Democratic Party. Now they're demanding that Dean Phillips apologize, the moderate from Minnesota, self-made multimillionaire. Yeah, I mean, they did the same thing to RFK Jr., you know, trying to basically threaten him out of running or going to New Hampshire and, you know, Biden rearranged his whole schedule because that was almost the end for him last time around. He came in fifth, I think, in New Hampshire. And I remember we were covering the primary that night, and so we started getting you know text messages. Uh, Biden left the state. He's gone. He's already on his way to South Carolina. So um, there's a lot of manipulation by the Democrat Party of who is allowed to challenge Joe Biden. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think we're entering a period of, of a lot of shakeup in this race. And I don't know what form it's going to take, but my political gut of having covered a lot of elections tells me that there are still some pretty big surprises coming. And I think the shift that we got in this story, it means there's obviously a lot more focus on what's going on in the world. We're, there's a huge threat to this country, huge threat to our way of life that exists right now. Civilization is absolutely in in jeopardy. <laughs> Right. Uh, and I just I think if you, way to look at it. Um, to put it this way, it's very easy to book a Republican on and say, vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, a Democrat, vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is. But I think the most disturbing thing that's happening right now, if you look at the border, you look at the economy, you look at world events, you look at what's, what's going on with this forced shift to green energy at the sacrifice of our national security. Who wants more of this? If you look at the report card almost three years in, does anyone want to sign up for four more years of this? That explains the 37 percent approval rating. And I wonder where the 37 percent gets, because 37 percent is someone that can speak, can persuade. But you don't like his message. Gavin Newsom, a terrible governor. But, man, he can speak and he understands how to communicate with people. This president can't bail himself out because he can't speak, carry a message, hold a thought. So who wants more of this? And what's at stake? All of it. If we get more of this, this country will bust. So crime. I forgot about crime. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And now we have terror threats on top of that. Right. So um, President Biden spoke to President Xi about a year ago. They had a meeting and I looked at what they talked about. Climate change was top of the list. Coordination on climate change. Right. They're going to meet soon. It's going to be very, very different world that they walk into. And I don't think you're going to hear a ton about green energy in the in the near future. They just they just scrapped the wind farm off of southern New Jersey. The the Danish company says that you know we, we can never f- pay for this on the contract that we made with you. And I think it's just the beginning of the end. You want that. to expand on that? They want to have wind farm up and down the oh, New Jersey coast. No, you, if the, you haven't seen it, look at the leases that exist 
up and down the Atlantic Ocean that will be filled with um, football field sized wind farms that disturb the the ground, the base of the ocean in ways that haven't really been, ever been studied. <laughs> they can, seems like they're killing a lot of whales. Well, right? you do have a lot of whales washing up. And the, the problem is that they didn't do the studies that should have been done to see how the environment would be, would react to the, what's going on. It's not definitive. We don't know for sure. But the fact is we don't know for sure. So the environmentalists who used to stick up for the ocean are now sticking up for the wind farms. <laughs> and the wind farms are falling apart under their own weight because they can't possibly be paid for. They're, they're enormously expensive and the return is enormously low. It's all falling apart. Thanks, Martha. See you at three. Thank you, Brian. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.